You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast. Where we unpack what is new and innovative in education. I'm your host, Caroline, and today we're talking with Peter Janzo. Peter started his education career as a textbook salesman 35 years ago. When it looked like the digital revolution would bring print to an end, Janzo built an auto-grading platform and licensed it to publishers. He sold the company and then got laid off. He found himself with a lot of skills and great experiences, but no credentials. That fueled a passion for lifelong learning and ways to communicate new capabilities. In 2014, Janzo helped Pearson launch Acclaim, a credentialing platform based on the Open Badge Standard. Last year, venture-backed Credly acquired Acclaim, making the combined entity and global leader in digital credentialing. Peter leads business development and partnership development, including businesses like Dell, IBM, and Oracle, which use Credly to turn knowledge, skills, and abilities into a common, verified language. They enable colleges and industry associations to help learners connect with employers. Credly is at the forefront of the global movement towards lifelong learning and skill-based hiring. Let's listen in as Peter talks to Tom about badges and why they are a big deal. Peter Janza, welcome to the Getting Smart Podcast. Thanks, Tom. Good to be here. You, Peter, you're almost as old as I am. Uh, how did a uh, history major become a, a textbook salesman like 35 years ago? <laughs> well, <clears throat> at the time, if you graduate with a history degree, there were only a few industries that were hiring uh, liberal arts. Uh, that included the insurance industry. And I, I looked at the insurance industry and uh, steered clear of it. And the publishing industry. You could either live in New York and self-support and work for less than minimum wage uh, in the trade publishing industry, or you could go into education publishing. And that was where the entrepreneurism was going on at the time. So it was a great industry at that time and attracted a lot of smart people who were competitive and uh, made a lot of great friends. Uh, speaking of entrepreneurship, it looks like you had, um, you, you've had some of that in your I- experience. What was uh, Brownstone learning? Well, around uh, 2000, I had become persuaded that the textbook industry was going away and uh, uh, built a company called Brownstone Learning with a, a brilliant Java coder who was also a tenured math professor at University of Nebraska, uh, who had built an automatic grading engine for calculus homework. So Brownstone was the the first automatically graded online homework platform. No kidding. Wow. We we licensed it out to many of the big publishers. At one time, it was the engine behind the automated homework for uh, Prentice Hall, Macmillan, uh, McGraw-Hill, Houghton Mifflin, and John Wiley and Sons. So at the time, it was Five of the big seven platforms were using our uh, our engine to grade their homework. It's interesting. I guess back in the in the '90s, you and I were both uh, to, uh, forecasting the demise of the textbook. They've had a longer tail than I think either of us anticipated. You know, it was a pretty uh, pretty solid product model. If you think about uh, how textbooks democratized education and brought a, a consistently high uniform experience uh, to the masses. I think its longevity um, is is maybe uh, underappreciated. But if you think about how students going to state schools or community colleges were able to essentially learn from the best and the brightest professors out there who were the textbook authors, um, 
you know, I, I guess I, I have a, a newfound appreciation for it. Uh, even yeah. though back then in the time, uh, you know, at the uh, 2000 or so, it seemed like it would be rapidly declining in, in favor of these online options. Yeah. But would, would you say that it was in the 90s that you first got a sense of how technology would en- enable new uh, forms of learning? Yeah. I think um, even from my days uh, as a textbook salesperson and then a, a district sales manager, um, you know, people were beginning to look at the rise of the personal computer and how that would impact education and the potential for learning. Um, and the first phase of this was simply teaching people how to use the application software that was new to their personal computers. So, yeah, I got involved in, I was, I was living and working in California at the time, got involved with some of the tech companies out there, um, Ashton Tate and, uh, and Microsoft. Uh, Lotus and Lotus One Two Three, um, and was involved in doing student versions of that software. So that was my initial light bulb moment around the use of technology and learning. Uh, but it was around the rise of the personal computer. When do you think you first uh, heard about or started thinking about badges and micro credentials? It's an interesting story, and it, it begins as as many of these things do with uh, with the fall before the rise. So I had uh, I had built and sold Brownstone. I uh, went to work for a big um, engineering software company, and their primary sectors were um, automotive, aero defense, and finance. And in the economic collapse from 2008 to 2009, um, their business, their core business, uh, was off by a significant percentage. They were in a, in a fight for survival, and I was running education programs for them, and they said. You know, the education work you're doing is important to us, but this is survival mode. So I got laid off for the first time in my career in 2009. And the next morning I woke up a consultant, as many of us who get laid off uh, become, and uh, quickly found that um, although I had good stories about my experiences and about my background and what I could do as a consultant, I had no credentials. I had no evidence, no, uh, no one backing my stories. And so I, I very quickly became passionate around uh, lifelong learning and the need for professionals in mid-career to keep themselves upskilled and to, to get and claim evidence in the form of credentials around their capabilities. And over time, that led me down the path to, to the Open Badge community and the Open Badge movement. Um, and then some colleagues of mine at Pearson View, the big assessment and credentialing piece of Pearson discovered me blogging on some internal blogs about professional lifelong learning and stackable knowledge. And they said, you know, we think you've got the, the market story that could expand us beyond traditional uh, credentialing certification applications. And Pearson View at the time, that, that was a, a, an early leader in certifications, right? In industry certifications? That's right. Yeah, Pearson View is the division... Uh, Pearson that manages the Oracle and the uh, Cisco and the Microsoft certifications, uh, most of the IT industry certifications. They manage the nursing boards. Uh, They just started to distribute the MCAT test, the GMAT, uh, Graduate Management Admissions Test. Um, They've just taken over the Project Management Institute test. So they're the leader in professional credentialing and certification. Um, but uh, the idea was to use this new digital format for credentials uh, more widely 
downstream and upstream from those professional certifications, whether that was uh, formal higher education outcomes or individual courses or informal learning through MOOCs. The notion was give people some credit for what they know and what they can do and put them on pathways towards those professional certifications. And so you you helped launch uh, Pearson Acclaim in around 2014, is that right? Yeah, we launched the Acclaim platform in March of 2014, concurrent with the launch of the Open Badge Standard version 1.0. Um, built that uh, company up under the Pearson umbrella. Uh, Pearson was, uh, was kind to us and kept us out of the limelight, uh, which we were grateful for because it can be difficult to be an innovative uh, startup inside a bigger organization. Right. It, but outside of Pearson, there were folks like uh, Credly that had been founded in 2012. Did you have any visibility to them or did you know Jonathan Finkelstein? Yeah. Um, Jonathan was the guy we felt like we should hate, but we actually really liked uh, every one of these industry gatherings. Uh, we were, in essence, singing from the same hymn book. Uh, we were both talking about the value to professional lifelong learners of getting credit for what they know and what they could do, uh, talking about the evolution of a, a skills-based uh, workforce and hiring economy, sort of the empowerment that uh, that individually owned credentials could have to, to give all of us who are now freelancers uh, control over our own pathways, our own destiny, discovering new opportunities, et cetera. So um, although we interacted with Jonathan from the very early days and sort of admired the story he was telling, uh, it wasn't until we combined about this time last year that we realized how similarly we viewed the world. Right. That was an interesting uh, transaction that happened about a year ago. So Credly um, acquired a claim. There, was there some investment uh, as well? Yeah. You know, it's. Um, I give Pearson some credit for finding a creative solution. We A claim had reached the market tipping point where we had uh, proven the market uh, with, with big companies, uh, with, with large university systems. And we felt like we had teed it up with a model that was working around resume-worthy achievements and using the digital badges to, to represent those. So we had gone in with a, a request for a big investment, uh, the kind of investment that growing companies need to scale up. And uh, Pearson got really creative and went outside and said, well, Credly is your biggest competitor. If we put one plus one together, maybe we'll get three. So they spun us out and we merged with Credly. Um, and Pearson took a seat on the board and invested cash in the new company and became uh, one of the significant shareholders alongside City and Guilds, the Lumina Foundation, and a couple of venture capital firms, uh, Ryan Craig and University Ventures and New Market Ventures and Jason. Yeah. Palmer. No, it's, you, you have a great set of investors. It was a, a, a neat transaction for a a mainline company for Pearson to um, to help engineer. I think really smart uh, to to move the badging platform outside the company, and and obviously uh, Credly was a, a well known player. Uh, Peter, when I write about competency based learning and I point to, um, to to badging and micro credentials, there's 
I have friends in education that that poo-poo the idea that say this is um, isn't really going anywhere. But you work with a lot of corporate clients where this has really become the way that that people are framing their lifelong learning and communicating their uh, their new capabilities. So it, it'd be great to go down um, the the list of a couple examples of the evidence that uh, that badges are really catching on in in both corporate and uh, education. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I often hear that that same perception that uh, that perhaps badges are that the jury is still out on whether badges will make an impact or whether they've had an impact or if they're still getting out of the gates. Uh, typically, I hear that from academic audiences, and uh, they're not aware of the pervasive use of badges already, uh, of the digital badge format. Uh, they're not always called badges anymore. And increasingly, right. we hear most groups call them digital credentials or alternative credentials, um, micro-credentials, uh, lots of different synonyms that mean the same thing. But the basic idea is to capture outcomes. Uh, typically skills, but they can also be capabilities, mindset uh, indicators, um, all sorts of achievements, and um, empowered the learner by owning and controlling them. Uh, so the learner owns and controls them. They mark them public or private, and they're able to share them. Um, and that value has been demonstrated now going back you know, well over five years. Um, I think the tipping point were... Uh, Tipping points were probably um, some of the early education providers getting on board with the micro-credentials or alternative credentials approach. And here I would point to the professional and continuing education departments and schools of a lot of big universities, the workforce development organizations inside community colleges, and then a number of key brands. Um, certainly the IBM program is the one that many people have heard of. And we were excited to pioneer that with them going back uh, nearly five years now um, from a chance encounter at a training conference where Bob McDonald, their senior VP for skills training, uh, heard a talk that I gave with, uh, with another client about the idea of badges. And he came up to me afterwards and he said, I think this is the concept that could unlock skills for IBM, um, promote us as a kind of learning culture that we are and really drive a lot of brand awareness for IBM's investment in individuals and, and, and learning. Um, so we began that uh, a few years ago. It's grown to, to be well over a million badges and they've had really significant impact both within the IBM corporation as well as outside in the wider uh, tech economy where the, the whole idea of digital credentials is now driving workforce skilling across the entire IT industry. So to give you some idea of the scale of the impact, uh, we're talking about tens of millions of credentials already out there in existence, tens of millions of users uh, in the Credly platforms, um, and a number of people who are uh, kind of unified around the idea of um, credentials that represent their professional capabilities. I guess, as a subset of the open badge vision, which was to, to allow anyone to give credit for any achievement based on any criteria, uh, we started from the beginning saying, well, what are the economic problems to solve? Where's the inefficiency 
in skills and labor markets and education and where they all come together. And that was the approach that we try to take. So um, IBM was an early ally and helped to bring to the table several other big organizations that helped to demonstrate the initial validity and have really provided the scale for the growth of the ecosystem now um, to, that, to that scale of tens of millions of, uh, of these items. Um, in higher education, it's becoming more and more prevalent. Uh, we did some studies beginning about three years ago with the University Professional and Continuing Education Association around the, the prevalence of alternative credentials. And at that time, only about a third of the universities that we polled said that they had a, a, a micro-credential or an alternative credential program. But more than two-thirds said they could see this being strategic to them in the next two years. And that's really how we've seen it bear out. Um, so again, in higher education, uh, beginning with the professional continuing education sector, um, they are already offering short courses or certificate programs. Uh, increasingly, partners of ours like Trilogy are, are working through these same continuing education programs to deliver more uh, innovative, agile kinds of topics, boot camps. Um, and they're all credentialing the outcomes because professionals like to see evidence that they've achieved things. Um, it works on their digital resume. It works in applicant tracking systems, uh, wherever they need to represent themselves and tell their professional story. So that's kind of the core of where this starts. And more recently, we've been seeing uh, higher ed institutions want it, wanting to represent institution-wide outcomes, things like uh, the value of a liberal arts degree, um, you know, in, in terms of the soft skills that it that it cultivates in learners, um, or representing non traditionally non-transcripted achievements, things like leadership activities on campus or experiential uh, learning, uh, internships and co-ops and these kinds of things. So it's, it's really been, I think, the alternative credential movement has been a real uh, blossoming of opportunities for people right. throughout the higher ed landscape. I guess, uh, Peter, the, the non-transcripted achievements, um, that category and more broadly the uh, work readiness skills is a category that we're really excited about um, we we're happy to see a lot of communities working on extended transcripts that in addition to a list of courses that a young person took in high school or college uh, describe some of their uh, their personal uh, capabilities things uh, leadership skills job readiness skills technical skills uh, and these can be included in a series of credentials and added to a, a transcript, right? Yeah. You're working on some projects like that? Yeah, well, um, if you look at the IMS standards related to uh, things as granular as an open badge, or if you stack them up, the comprehensive learner record or e-transcript standards, um, even the competency frameworks, the case standards that IMS drives, they all pretty well nest neatly. So you start with the most granular level of recognition being an open badge, uh, and then you stack that into a comprehensive learner record, or maybe you align it with a, a competency framework through the case standards. Um, as you move up the scale in terms of organizational hierarchy, you're adding more and more value in the context for what that learning is and what that outcome is. Um, and then the fact that you've got them all documented in the same standardized metadata format means that you can begin to, to do some really interesting things with AI uh, 
and, and with uh, machine readability of the data so that you can make smart recommendations that are highly individualized for each person. Do you see uh, badges and micro-credentials replacing courses and grades as the primary way that we communicate capabilities, or is it, a, is it complementary? Um, you know, we've got some issuers uh, who, who issue badges that represent entire degrees. Uh, Capella University has a couple of master's degrees that it encapsulates in a badge. And the metadata itself expands to provide deeper and deeper level of detail about what rolls up into that one credential. Um, so I, I don't know that the two are mutually exclusive. Uh, I think that um, grades are going to persist because that's how we've come to value these things. But the way that we get to those grades, um, the ways that we get to those grades is, is rapidly uh, expanding and, and multiplying out, whether that's through performance-based assessments or uh, learners using a constructivist approach and making their own argument for showing competency and mastery. Um, it's a pretty exciting time, I think, for it, it is. a broader it, field it, of assessment. It, it is, but I, I'd love to push on this a little bit. And some critics would argue that these micro-credentials or badges are inherently reductionist, um, and they may work for a few technical skills, but they don't really work well for, for deeper learning, for critical thinking, and that they may actually inhibit those things as they become more dominant. What What's your take on that? Uh, again, I think it, it has mostly to do with the design of the instructional experience and the assessment that sits behind the credential itself. Um, the fact that you're providing a credential, I see as only a positive. Um, you know, is it is it more complicated to assess soft skills or or non-cognitive skills or mindset? Uh, perhaps that is the case, but assuming you solve those problems as best you can, encapsulating that encapsulating that in a credential is only only going to give the individual uh, an artifact that makes it easier to talk about their capabilities in that area. So we're seeing some examples. Uh, Mike Simmons at University of North Texas um, has recently been talking about this idea, but giving students a credential that encapsulates what these capabilities are makes it easier for them to interact with employers in telling their own story. So, um, you know, I, I, my, my university developed communication skills in me. Here's the evidence of that. This is a badge I earned for doing this specific activity. This is the evidence that sits behind this badge from my portfolio. This is a document that I produced. It's a much richer story to tell. And I think while the credential itself is reductionistic, the, the evidence that sits behind the credential is potentially much richer than it's ever been before. Can you give us, as we, we think about designing learning experiences and, and um, digital credentials or micro credentials around those, what's the right grain size? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and, and <laughs> if it sounds like uh, I'm, I'm an, uh, an advocate for the flexibility of using the badge format to represent whatever the learning institution's aims and goals might be, that's exactly the way I'd phrase it. Uh, so, in terms of determining grain size, um, 
it's the classic Goldilocks question, right? Um, how do we find the way to express this competency, skill set, skill, uh, individual capability? How do we find the right balance there between too large, too small, et cetera? Um, and we always answer that question in context. We would say, well, who is your, who's your consumer? Are they at the table? Have you had a dialogue with them about what makes the most sense for this particular area? Um, the best programs we see coming out of education are the ones where the employers, the consumers, are at the table alongside the institutions. You know, whether that's uh, Harper College in Chicago with their industry advisory board sitting down and having a frank conversation about skill gaps and what the college is producing and what they need to produce, and then encapsulating those skills at the level the employer suggested, assess the way the employer said would make sense, um, encapsulate that into a digital badge format that's standardized and, and readily consumable by the employers, but then also defining that as a curricular outcome target so that Harper can say our curriculum maps to producing that skill thus and so, and we've got a rubric that evaluates it thus and so, and all of that data sits behind the metadata of the badge. Brain size is, is determined by the audience, right? The yeah. beauty is in the eye of the beholder. No, that's useful. It, it sounds like it depends on the nature, the type, the duration of the learning experience, um, who the learners are, why they're learning it, um, who they hope to communicate with, the, the nature of the learning experience, the type of assessments that are used. So it sounds like the answer is it depends. Yeah, well, and I think there are some related ideas that people will be more familiar with, right? The tradition of prior learning assessment right. and having to evaluate evidence and determine you know, what's the equivalent of this in a, in, a, in a more readily understood, you know, in a university curriculum. Uh, we're doing some really interesting Lumina-funded work now with ACE, uh, a project called the Working Transcript, where someone's work experience is collected, evaluated, and then transcripted and represented in the form of digital badges. That's great. Um, and it sounds like it could be applicable to uh, military personnel as they transition into the private sector. Another area that ACE is involved in, the, the, the Joint Services Transcript. Um, in fact, I was just at the Department of Defense yesterday having some pretty interesting conversations. Yeah, that's exciting. I mean, people in the military receive so much high-quality training, and if we can help them better capture and communicate that, that's bound to uh, ease transitions into the private sector. Absolutely. And it's a service to them, and it's a service to our fellow taxpayers. Yeah, no question. Better show the product of our investment. What's next at Credly? What are you working on? Oh, we've got our hands in lots of lots of really interesting things, but uh, sitting on this treasure trove of data across tens of millions of credentials, um, we're, we're looking at doing some insight work, uh, data analysis to begin, so we understand what the relationships are between different kinds of credentials. If you're a credential holder of a certain class and a certain type of credential, are you more likely or less likely to have these other credentials in your portfolio? Um, those are some interesting questions. So work around data and insights. Um, as we've gotten to this critical mass of tens of millions of users, um, we've also begun to ask, uh, you know, so what? So I've earned my first credential. Now what? If I'm the, if I'm the credential earner, how can we empower those learners 
to discover new opportunities, whether that's discovering jobs related to the skills of my badges or discovering, you know, further education programs, boot camps, professional certificates, graduate degrees that might match my profile and also allowing them to opt in to be discovered by those. So when we talk about machine readability and artificial intelligence, um, we're not too far off from, from having um, the capability of organizations expressing their needs. I've got this job to fill and it requires these skills. And then sending an AI out to discover people who've openly made their credentials uh, available to be read and having the opportunities come to them. So you may not even have to do a job search. The jobs might find you if you've got the right capabilities. And we think that's pretty exciting work as well. It is a brave new world. It sounds like digital credentials are going to play a, an increasingly important role. Uh, Peter, where can people find out more about digital credentials and about you? Well, our team, uh, our marketing communications team does a great job at uh, fostering dialogue. They host a lot of webinars, blog posts, podcasts. You can find all of that at the Credly website. Um, That's Credly.com? Credly.com in the resources and, uh, area. On Twitter, it's at Credly, C-R-E-D-L-Y. That's correct. Great. And they can find you on Twitter as well? Yep. I am at PJanzo, P-J-A-N-Z-O-W. And they'll probably also see me in and around the conference circuit. Yes, as, that's where I always find you. That is where you and I is, interact with each other. We always find each other at conference, uh, in conference hotel lobbies. Peter Janzow, a lot of us think of you as uh, the godfather of, of badges or certainly well, an important an important I, I figure. Like we appreciate was, your work. <laughs> I, I appreciate that, but I'm just one of many. Um, but it, these are exciting times, and I, I'm, I'm personally excited at how, uh, how easy it is for individuals to find learning that's going to help them improve their lives and to get credentials related to that. Thanks for joining us on the uh, Getting Smart podcast. Excellent. Thanks, Tom. Thanks to Peter for joining us. For more on talent development, check out episode 189 with Aveta Bridges, who spent 15 years at Google and created an academy for school district HR professionals. And check out the landscape analysis of competency-based learning we did with the XQ Institute called Show What You Know. We'll have both of those linked in the show notes and on the blog. If you liked today's episode, please rate and review the show. For the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Caroline signing off. Yeah.